This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. If you want to join this late-night town hall conversation, we're live, we're national, and we welcome your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833, the number four, followed by my last name, V-A-L-D-E-S. By the way, that's at Rich Valdez on all of these social media if you want to chime in that way. I was just looking at social media. There's a lot of great comments that are coming in, a lot of people enjoying the content of the show. Uh, there's a handful of people that can't stand me, and I kind of like that. It kind of fuels me, honestly. So keep the hate coming, boys. And girls, but uh, thank you. It really is an honor to be with you guys. And we, we've got a really enjoyable show, in my opinion. I'm really enjoying doing the show, and I think you're going to enjoy listening to the show tonight. Uh, we've got a lot in store. Uh, first of all, I want to start with a very quick clip of audio. Joel Baboso Biden, right? Uh, President Biden, uh, today he's at a Bring Your Child to Work event at the White House, and he decides to spread some Marxist cheer by telling a child he wants to tax the rich. Listen to this. What are you going to do to ensure the um, the um, the health care um, and money for the employees of the White House? What am I going to do to make sure we have health care for the employees of the White House? We're going to make sure that we tell the American people what we're doing. And why everybody, if everybody paid their fair share in taxes, the super wealthy, like regular people paid their fair share, we could easily afford this. You know, we have a thousand billionaires in America. They only pay 8% of their taxes. Your moms and dad pay 20, 25% of their taxes. They don't make anywhere near that. So we just got to make sure everybody pays their fair share. We can do all these things. Now, Joe Biden wants everybody to pay their fair share as if somebody is ripping everybody else off. And this is the way they've created this tax structure. Now, speaking of rich people, there's a new book out uh, where rich people who used to like Donald Trump are saying nice things about him in letters. And it's called Letters to Trump. Straight ahead, we're going to talk to Donald Trump Jr. who's going to tell us all about the new book. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. At night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media and our phone number if you want to give us a call, 8334-VALDEZ. Now, as we were uh, discussing a little earlier, we've got an update coming uh, from uh, Donald Trump Jr. There's a lot of news that has surfaced, and I want to get his take on it. Donald Trump Jr., welcome to the program, sir. How you doing, Rich? How's everything? Thank God we're doing good, brother. So uh, I'm looking at some of the news today, and I see that Good old Hunter Biden uh, has had some meetings that were set up by Anthony Blinken using a private email address. And it seems like the Dems use the same exact uh, playbook each and every time, and they always end up getting caught with their pants down. Well, the problem is they get caught, but there's never any consequence, because if you're a Democrat, you can do that. Just like, you know, there's the article about Hunter Biden's literally hiding in the White House. To avoid being served <laughs> paternity papers. And I mean, but think about that for a second. I mean, this is, you it's know, crazy. when I attack the, how dare you? He's the son of a, pre- he, he's not, a, it's like he's a four-year-old, right? He's a 51-year-old dude, 52-year-old dude, uh, you know, selling art to the, you know, you know unknown buyers magically with, with no real artistic experience or otherwise for millions of dollars. I mean, it's a clown show. Uh, you know, if it was the Don Jr. laptop from hell and I did one of the numerous degenerate acts that are on all of the laptops that seemingly are controlled by all of our enemies as well, uh, it would all be a problem. And yet it's nothing. And if you say something about it, then, you know, you're, you're going after a child. Uh, it's it, it, the lunacy never ends. And then, of course, Lincoln is tied to pushing the CIA directors and the other intelligence officials to writing the letter to say that it's Russian disinformation to sway an election, which I've heard was election interference. But apparently that, too, only goes one way. Yeah, everything goes one way. But eventually, like I said, they always end up getting caught. Yesterday, I was looking at the uh, little cheat sheet, and we've seen these before, these little palm cards, these index cards with Biden. But what I found remarkable is that he's got one that says he is a participant, and it doesn't say like Joe Biden or the president. It says Y-O-U in all caps. And I'm thinking, how and how bad must the uh, condition be, right, where you have to remind somebody, hey, it's, you stand here, Y-O-U, all caps. Well, you see that. You see him being guided by, I mean, I think this video, one time being guided by a blind individual who still had a better sense of presence of where they were <laughs> and where they needed to be. You see him, you know, guided by, you know, the military aides and he's walking aimlessly or he misses the turn and they got, they got to capture him or you see them whispering uh, directions. I mean, it's, it's a caricature of itself. Our enemies are watching. People are looking at America and they realize, uh, we're failing. The whole thing's like it's a big, it's a big act. I'm waiting for, you know, Ashton Kutcher to jump out of a cake and punk us. Uh, but it's actually <laughs> happening. And this guy or whoever's actually controlling him uh, are making decisions that our children and grandchildren will be beholden to for generations. And, and again, yeah, we catch him. That's great, Rich. But like, whatever happens, nothing ever happens. There's never any consequence. You know, it's like every every lie that they, oh, you got us now. Okay, well, we'll just move on. We'll pretend it never happens. The media won't talk about it. There's no critique. There's no nothing. So, you know, we do a good job of dunking on people online. Look, we got them. But, like, what does it mean? They still take the win. Uh, you know, two years later, no one cares. Uh, you know, we'll find the same thing about it, about, you know, probably everything out there, including the elections. And, you know, well, oh, it's a little late now. We can't do anything about it now. Uh, right. it's, a, it's a truly sad state of affairs. When this is a, a, a interesting point, because I, I feel like you do in that respect, where th- this has been going on for a long time. It always happens. They know that. And that's why I think when people make these big to do's about something, they go, well, nobody's going to care in a couple of years when that becomes reality. So whatever. And 
this is the system and it's great that, you know, people are trying to expose it and people are trying to find it, but ultimately they're right. Right. They, they get away with it. They do get away with it. They know the media has yeah, got well, their back. We've seen the censorship in the media. Our side's guilty of this as well. You know, people try to expose oh, it and then they get fired. Look at what happened to Tucker Carlson this week, right? Uh, you know, Perfect the example. person that's actually speaking truth to power on the conservative side. He'll bring up a conservative governor and go after him. You know, he won't ape the Paul Ryan talking points uh, and, you know, the perpetual war nonsense. Uh, you see the quotes in the paper today. You know, anonymous Republican senator says it's great now that Tucker's not there. We'll be able to push for war in Ukraine without re- without resistance. It's like, what? So, you know, your constituency <laughs> doesn't want that, but you're going to do it anyway. You know, the anonymous, the, the one that I really love is the anonymous pen, uh, Pentagon sources. Uh, they're thrilled. You know, Tucker was seriously, viciously attacking the military. No, no, no. He wasn't attacking the military. He was attacking incompetent military leadership that's hoping to get a board mm-hmm. seat on Raytheon when they retire and make billions of dollars by sending your kids to war uh, you know, in a useless war for a, another crap hole country uh, and a corrupt country like the Ukraine. That's not being a Putin apologist. That's being a realist and understanding that they're both corrupt dictatorial regimes that are scamming us blindly. But, hey, you know, the one voice that has it, even if it's, you know, one of the largest voices uh, on the network, they'll, they'll, they'll can them. It doesn't matter. And you know what they'll probably do? They'll probably pay out the whatever it is, 20 million, 30 million, 50 million, whatever it is on his contract to prevent him from actually speaking elsewhere. Uh, they'll eat that. Uh, to make sure that he can't have that so that they can get their uni party control and and push that on the American people. And that that should truly scare us because it's not just, you know, us versus, you know, the libs on this one. Like this is, you know, both sides of the mainstream establishment doing this to the American people. No question. And, you know, that, that was where I wanted to go with this next was to talk about this media censorship. Uh, Tucker puts this thing out yesterday, this video, and he says, see you soon. And, and it's great. Uh, he talks about having hope. And I think that's fantastic. And I think we should all have hope. However, um, I, I'm thinking what you're thinking. They're going to pay out whatever they owe him on his contract. They're going to do everything they can. I mean, in, in my business, in the radio business, that's what they do. Uh, it's it's pretty standard practice. You don't just get to leave and go talk on some other network. You know, you're going to be off for a year at minimum with non-compete. So I'm thinking, you know, Tucker's oh, well, got to have a deal like that, that in place. Not, it's of not course. just that they're going to prevent him from going somewhere else on cable. I, I imagine they'll try to prevent him from streaming, from having a podcast, from showing up on mm-hmm. other people's podcasts, whatever it may be. They're going to make sure that he does not have a voice through the 2024 election. And that's my opinion. I don't I don't base that on anything. You know, I haven't called Tucker to bother him about it. I figured, you know, they're probably dealing with enough garbage this week. Uh, but, sure. you know, I, I understand how uh, that world operates. And, you know, it's scary. Yeah, well, I think you're you're right on track. And that was going to be one of my questions was, can we expect to see him on Truth Social? Uh, because um, just, I think that would be a great place to, to see him do something or something on Rumble. But it seems like they're going to try and jam him up. Yeah, I think they'll prevent that. You know, again, and Tucker's not a big he's not a big guy on social anyway. It's not you know, he doesn't he doesn't live there. He doesn't. <laughs> I've been to his house. He didn't have a TV in his house. Uh, you know, he, he gets his information <laughs> a lot of it the old, old fashioned way and stuff like that. So it's not been a place. But I think he would be successful on any platform that he would do. And I think, you know, hey, listen, I think that this is a, a turning point in the mainstream media. I think cable news that you just probably had plenty of its own issues uh, for a while. I think they're probably underestimating uh, just what happened this week uh, in terms of those ramifications. But I figured, you know, if, if they can, if they can prevent someone like that, a, you know, probably, you know, once in a generation type of talent, 
uh, from going anywhere or having any kind of opinion. You know, maybe they can claw back some viewership and, and whatever it is and hope that, you know, people forget. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping we don't because, uh, again, you know, I see this, whether it's, you know, what they tried doing with us, what they tried doing with my father, with, you know, legacy media, the establishment, uh, you know, the D.C. insiders, uh, they'll do anything to try to take that out. And that's perhaps the great irony of Tucker is you know, sort of, you know, born into, uh, you know, an elite governmental you know, family, you know, people who did cool stuff all over the world. And, and yet he was one of the few guys sort of challenging the norms, uh, you know, of the D.C. cocktail party regime that, you know, maybe – uh, you know, he was born into, but he had a great sort of mind and he thought outside the box and he gave people who otherwise wouldn't have a platform, uh, a platform to either, uh, to either be a star or to be a clown. I mean, he did, <laughs> he, he certainly right. got many people to show that they were clowns, uh, you know, and I guess you do that to enough Republicans and, you know, the establishment media is going to have a, a problem with you. Yeah. And you, you mentioned uh, your father. And and we're talking about the media and part of the, the media that you guys have taken on, not only just social media with Truth Social, but uh, publishing as well. Uh, and anybody who's joining us right now, we're on with Donald Trump Jr. Uh, from 45 Books. And um, your dad has a new book out right now. And I know that you guys are actively promoting the book because I, from what I've heard, it's a fantastic book uh, filled with letters uh, to Trump, yeah. which I think is so cool. Tell us about it. Well, listen, it was uh, it was interesting going through, uh, you know, over the last few years, moving down to Florida, kind of cleaning out a lot of the stuff that we we're dealing in New York, just getting away from that craziness, you know, found this archive mm-hmm. of letters over, you know, my father's you know, 40 year career, even, you know, even before politics. And, you know, you see, you know, dignitaries, presidents, royalty, uh, Hollywood actors, uh, many of whom became incredibly vocal about Donald Trump. Uh, you know, Oprah Winfrey, Alec Baldwin, yada, 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 became incredibly vocal about Trump. But you know, there's a uh, there's receipts uh, that these people didn't always feel this way about <laughs> Trump. And it was only once he became right. uh, a Republican that all of a sudden did that. So, you know, we literally saw all of the stuff and said, oh, my, we got to put this in a book. Uh, and so we did. We literally compiled, you know, 40 years of history, you know, Princess Diana, Charles, uh, uh, yeah, like I said, Alec Baldwin, uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, Michael Douglas, just you know, amazing, you know, and then you know Nixon. A lot of correspondence between my father and Richard Nixon and Reagan, and you know, I'm just like, oh my god, we got to just put this all in there. Now, I think uh, you know some of the conservative, uh, some of the conservative presidents, uh, you know, I imagine their opinions would have stayed the same. Uh, some of the more liberal ones, not so much. And so it was just interesting, mm-hmm. as you see again the hypocrisy. Uh, that's out there. You know, these, these are such principled people and he's so terrible and he's so racist. And that's weird. You know, you have, here's 10 years of correspondence uh, between you and him where you're kissing his butt or, you know, mm-hmm. you know there's some uh, that actually said they should maybe run on a political ticket with him. Uh, that's sort of interesting because I imagine that'd be different now. Uh, and you, you just sort of understand how made up uh, you know, some of this world is, whether it's whether it's the opposition or their personalities. But either way, it's sort of like Anthony Fauci, right? You have you have the emails to his colleagues and then you had what he told the American public. And the two things were exactly opposite. So one of them's a lie, but either of them make the people hypocrites, make some, you know, sort of despicable. And I think it's an interesting look uh, at people, how people really are and how quickly they can change based on a narrative, not based on actual friendship or actual knowledge of the people uh, involved. So, yeah, Letters to Trump, it just came out this week. It's sort of a cool, you know, a cool walk down memory lane. And I think people will be pretty surprised at how many people really like Trump uh, before he went on and, uh, you know, took on the insanity that is our government.
You know, Donald Trump Jr., what's surprising to me is how many people don't like or pretend to not like Trump. Uh, As a kid growing up in Brooklyn, I remember, you know, Donald Trump was a huge fixture in in the media. And I I remember, you know, as a kid, I heard a quote, I think it was in the Daily News. And uh, that's what my dad used to read, that or the Post. And and I saw uh, a quote from Trump and it said, if you think becoming a, a billionaire is tough, try doing it twice. And this was shortly after one of these bankruptcies in um, Atlantic City. Yeah. And, and I remembered the quote and I said, wow, that's that's an amazing quote. <laughs> you know, yeah. this guy's well, the man and everybody loved Trump. Everybody. <laughs> We're going to have right. to repurpose the quote, Rich. If you think becoming president is tough, try doing it twice. And so uh, <laughs> Exactly. Uh, feeling pretty good right now. But, yeah, no, it's a. Uh, it's interesting. And, you know, again, I saw that. I saw, you know, these people that I would, you know, oh, he's this, he's that. I'm like, that's weird. We had dinner like three weeks ago and you didn't have those feelings. Right. That, I don't remember you know, anybody ever hating Trump when I was growing up. Yeah, because I didn't. Uh, you know, that, that's that's made up. Um, like these personalities. You should see the letters from Chuck Schumer and, and, and Bill Clinton and, and Hillary Clinton. It's uh, it, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I actually saw a clip earlier today of um, Chuck Schumer on uh, an early episode of The Apprentice with some of the people. And, and he was saying, oh, yeah, you know, uh, Donald Trump is, is he's headed places. <laughs> and I thought that, that didn't age well for you, Chuck. Anyway, no, uh, Don Trump didn't. Jr., l- let everybody know, please, where they could find um, this book and how they could get. I always tell people to get two copies of the book, one for themselves and one they can give away. Well, you can get it at 45books.com. That's sort of our, our direct uh, for, the, for the publishing company. I know a lot of you know, the conservatives don't want to you know, go to Amazon or, or, or otherwise because of the nature, but you can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble as well. Uh, but if you want to go sort of direct, you can just go 45books.com, check it out there, uh, letters to Trump. Uh, and I think, I think people will really enjoy it. I think they'll appreciate it. And again, it, it sort of makes sense uh, of the insanity or at least explains something that most people wouldn't think we're rational, but that's the world in which we live today. A hundred percent. Check out the book, folks. Letters to Trump on 45books.com. And Don Jr., um, you have a, uh, a platform on Rumble where you share your thoughts. Let everybody know in case they want to hear some of your, your analysis, opinions and rants. I, I know I get a kick out of them. Well, yeah, I have a podcast on Rumble. I did that because it's a platform that actually believes in free speech. So people can see that. I do it twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, I actually just today uh, interviewed my father about the book. Uh, so, you know, if you're, if you guys are bored over the weekend and you want to watch a podcast, uh, you know, that, that's probably an interesting one talking about life, talking about some of the hypocrisy. So that's just, you know, under my, uh, my name on, uh, on rumble on that platform, you can download the app or you can just do it directly, uh, online on the web, but, you know, check it out there. And, you know, again, it's one of those platforms they allow for free speech. You can say what you want. So, you know, I say the stuff there that I probably wouldn't be able to get away with on some of my other social platforms. And while I push those relatively far, uh, I, I think we go all the way over there. So uh, I think anyone that likes my content will will like that even better. Thank God for liberty and rumble. <laughs> Donald Trump Jr., yeah, I want to thank you for joining us. Godspeed to you, your dad, the family. Keep up the great work. Thanks a lot, my friend. I appreciate it. Be well. You got it. All right, folks, your calls and more straight ahead at 334-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. 
welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There's yeah, safe. I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Call now, 833-4-VALDES. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with you. And uh, I wanted to, um, I mentioned uh, this story earlier about Anthony Blinken and this uh, controversy with with the emails with Hunter Biden. And uh, I I find this to be just so interesting. Um, But, I mean, he just, it, it doesn't matter what he does. He's always wrong. I feel like he's wrong on all of his foreign policy decisions. He was wrong when he allowed the Chinese to punk him a couple of, what was that, a few months ago. And uh, and he's wrong now with this, uh, their decision on Title 42 at the border, right? Um, th- they fought it. They fought it. Now they're, they don't want to fight it because they want to use it to let everybody they can in. I mean, I just don't understand what's going on. Listen to this. In two weeks' time, the CDC's temporary... Uh, Title 42 public health order will expire as required by court order. Uh, President Biden and agencies across our government have been taking robust steps to prepare for the effect that this will likely have on our immigration system, uh, our partners in the region, and the movement of people across our hemisphere. Um, Secretary Mayorkas will uh, speak about the immediate impact of Title 42's expiration uh, and our stepped-up enforcement efforts. Uh, But first, I'd like to take this opportunity to put this in the context of our broader approach to migration in the region, uh, which we'll continue to build on in the coming weeks. It's an approach focused on making migration more safe, orderly, and humane, and on advancing the interests of the American people. All right, so that's Anthony Blinken again. It's so difficult to believe what he says. And uh, just a quick aside, I'm going to get to your calls momentarily. I see some calls coming in. 833-4-VALDES is the phone number, 833-4-VALDES. Now, um... It's the same Anthony Blinken, right? The one that allowed the the Chinese to punk him. He got bullied by the uh, Chinese. It's this same Anthony Blinken who was then deputy secretary of state who was exchanging emails with Hunter Biden, right? So not only is he here, you know, propping up Mayorkas, and we're going to get to Mayorkas in a minute, but I want to talk about this this story with Hunter Biden because I, I just think this is so interesting that... There were meetings that were being set up. Lunches were being set up by Blinken using his personal email address instead of his government address. 
And the, the batch of emails that was reviewed by the Washington Examiner that's put this article out, they, they deal with conversations between Blinken and Biden when Blinken served as Deputy Secretary of State under then-President Barack Obama. Back in uh, 2015, Biden asked Blinken to get together uh, to get his advice on a couple of things, to which Blinken set up a meeting using an AOL address instead of his state.gov address. Now, when Hillary Clinton did this, it was a huge deal that the FBI director read that famous memo and, you know, in many ways, um, it, it started to expose how these people put themselves in these compromising situations and then use these private email servers that uh, to do their government business. And it shows how intertwined these these uh, some of these instances of their business can be. Now, back in May of 2015, Biden emailed Blinken with a request to get together and at the time, Biden had been working for 13 months on the board of Burisma. We're talking about Hunter Biden, the uh, Ukrainian natural gas company. So despite all of that stuff, Biden's uh, a- a appointment to the board of Burisma has, you know, had since drawn a lot of scrutiny and criticism. Republicans were like, hey, look, you don't know anything about energy. Why are you involved in this? This is really you I- peddling your influence, cutting deals with the Ukrainians and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, getting a nice uh comfy gig where you serve on a board and get paid a lot of money to do it. So fast forward um, into this email exchange. He says, Hey, look, yeah, I have a few minutes next week to grab a cup of coffee. I know you're impo- you're impossibly busy, but would like to get your advice on a couple of things. Blinken, that was Biden, Hunter Biden. Blinken responds, absolutely. I'm just about to land in Tokyo and route back to DC from Burma. I'll be in the office uh, from Tuesday on copying Linda in my office to find a good time. Look forward to seeing you. Sincerely, Tony. Now, the emails were then forwarded in two directions. Hunter Biden sent the exchange to Devin Archer, uh, a fellow member of the Burisma board, and while uh, Blinken forwarded the emails to Linda Landers, his then personal assistant. Landers, using her state.gov email address, later reached out to Biden, telling him to advise on best times for, you know, for you and Anthony Blinken to uh, meet so they can accommodate, etc., This lunch between Blinken and Hunter Biden eventually took place in July of 2015. According to the emails, the meeting times were shared with Archer and Eric Sherwin, uh, another business associate of Hunter Biden's. Now, it's unknown why Archer and Sherwin were copied on the email chains, and it's unclear what conversations um, took place between Blinken and Hunter Biden at these lunch meetings. But we do know that Blinken used a personal email. Now, this may seem uh, mundane to some people. Right. Because you're thinking, all right, so big deal. The guy has a couple of different emails on his phone. He used the wrong one. That's entirely a possibility. However, I can just tell you from never having served as secretary of state, but having served as a sub cabinet person in a state government, I can tell you that uh, any official in a state government, you're not allowed to do any business on your personal phone. And that's just state business. I mean, this was nothing having to do with the president of the United States. So clearly, if I know right from wrong in that situation, Anthony Blinken has to know right from wrong, right? Anyway, Blinken's use of a personal email address to set up these meetings could create pathways for investigations into them. In July of 2010, Hunter Biden emailed Blinken's wife, Evan Ryan, to ask her for her husband's personal email. Can I get Tony's non-government email? I want to send him something. Thanks, Hunter wrote back in 2010. Blinken served as uh, vice president's national security advisor to um, 
uh, yeah, to then Vice President Joe Biden. So there's plenty more in this article, and I'll share this so that you could see it. Uh, but it's fascinating to me to see how intertwined this is. And um, if you think I'm making a big deal out of nothing, then give me a call. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, I think it just shows how either how sloppy they are or how they like to put themselves in these compromising situations where they can say, oh, I made a mistake and I shared some stuff, but oh, we happen to have gotten hacked because I was on a non-government email. And this is the main reason you can't do business or set up meetings or do anything outside of your government email because you don't have the protection and the uh, cybersecurity that comes along with it. And of course, if I know that, he knows that. So do we give him a pass? It's not really a little mistake, right? This is why Hillary Clinton, five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was, uh, got in all that trouble in 2015, 2016. So I don't know. I'd love your thoughts on that. The media, Donald Trump Jr., the Trump book, everything we've talked about thus far. Give me a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're going to get to your calls right now. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. You know the number. Just give us a call. All right, let's go to Nate in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, WWPA. Nate, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. Good evening. Hola. So what I keep thinking is going to happen is they're going to use Hunter Biden as a pawn to convince dad not to run again. You know, your last official presidential duty is to veto, or excuse not veto, but uh, pardon your son. And once he does that, then step down and it's all going to go away. Could be. I mean, but he could easily pardon his son and, and still run. Yeah, but that, that just makes everything more, uh, what's the word we should use, um, corrupt? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get it. Um, I just think, you know, he's, he's within his rights to do that. Um, it's weird, and we haven't seen it before. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how, how the media would handle it, right? I mean, I don't know why I would think that the media would do anything but go, well, yeah, he's allowed to do it. There you go. Thanks. Take care. Have a good night. Nothing to see here. Uh, but I would be curious. I think there's a few people uh, like that guy, Simon Anteba. He's terrific. He always goes in. Uh, with for Biden, um, you got a few people, Peter Ducey from Fox. He's a good one. There's a few that are willing to um, ruffle the feathers of the administration. Uh, but I agree with you with respect to Hunter being uh, a pawn. Uh, it seems like he is lamentably. And, and a lot of times the children of politicians become pawns one way or another. This is similar to what they did with uh, Michael Flynn, former national security advisor. You know, he stood strong. They, they kind of suckered him into uh, the statements that they said he made that were inaccurate. And uh, upon making those statements, which everybody felt were not a lie, but more than just, you know, misspeaking or whatever, um, when they wanted to get him on something, they started to pressure him and say they were going to go after his kid. And, they, you know, he sold his house. He gave, used all his life savings. He had a legal defense fund. I mean, they really tried to break him, and they used his kid as the, um, as the linchpin. And it's just, it's vicious the way they attack it. But that's what they do, and it's a damn shame. Now, uh, what do you think about 
the um, the 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 latest with Joe Biden. Uh, if he's not running, who runs? Honestly, I I see Kennedy running. He's already put his name in, and mm-hmm. he may actually be a decent choice. He's not your typical Democrat. Right? Yeah, he's an old school Democrat, an old Kennedy Democrat. Uh, even though he is a Kennedy, but um, yeah, I I I wish, I hope that's true. Honestly, I hope it's true. I would love to see that. I think that'd be a great race between him and Trump and whoever else is on the Republican side. Um, but I just don't see it happening uh, for a, a million different reasons. Um, can't wait to see how it plays out, though, because uh, I think he, he he has the ability to be a spoiler. And I'm talking about RFK uh, Jr. I think he's got a real shot at being a spoiler, but we shall see how that plays out. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody listening in Williamsport, PA, WWPA. Let's uh, quickly go to my buddy Steve, Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Steve, go right ahead. Steve going once, Steve going twice. All right, well, we don't have Steve. I guess Steve uh, was offended by my hair. I'm kidding. It's probably the deep state getting to his phone line. But I want to go back to this uh, this audio of Alejandro Mayorkas that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Now, Alejandro Mayorkas, he's uh, at the State Department earlier today, and he you know wants to make things better by saying, well, look, it's not just a border crisis in the United States. This is a border crisis that is hemispheric and uh, and it demands hemispheric solutions. Listen to this. As the secretary described, this is a hemispheric challenge that demands hemispheric solutions. Working with our neighbors in the region, we can and will reduce the number of migrants who reach our southern border. The regional processing centers announced today will be a critical addition to the programs and processes DHS has in place for qualifying individuals to obtain authorization to enter the United States before arriving at our borders. This is particularly important because we have a humanitarian obligation to cut the smugglers out. So that's uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And he says, we've got to cut the smugglers out. Now, I want to believe everything he's saying, but I'm also not blind and I have a little bit of a memory and I know that he hasn't done a damn thing to make it stop. Uh, As in Spanish, they would say, hasta la fecha. Up to date, he's never done that. So then you tell me uh, why I should believe a word he's saying. And of course we can't, right? The only thing that we can do is take the key words here these hemispheric solutions right now. He's the department DHS, right? Department of Homeland Security, not the department of hemispheric solutions, but he wants to think that these guys are all a bunch of globalists and they, they feel that the answer is in us fixing whatever and whatnot in the Northern triangle. And bottom line is I can't control why there's a rash of burglaries in my neighborhood. Let's just say, right? Hypothetically speaking, I can control what happens once you break through my window and what I do to you once you're inside my house, right? That is my border security. I can control that. I can't control why, you know, your neighborhood has a bad problem with with uh, jobs and nobody's making money. So you got to come to my neighborhood and rob people. None of that has anything to do with me until you bust through my window. And that's how I look at this. Perhaps I'm a simpleton. Perhaps I'm looking at it in a manner that's too rudimentary. But that is how I look at it. 
And I can't for the life of me think that we're going to stop illegal immigration at our southern border when we're, you know, me being a hypothetical DHS secretary, by trying to create a hemispheric solution, right? Not just including a couple of countries. He's talking about a whole hemisphere now. So now we're going to, you know, be a, a hemispheric globalist, if you will. Uh, listen, that's a bunch of crap. I don't buy it for a second. And then he goes on, right? He goes on to talk more about what's going on um, with the these encounters and how they're going to increase when Title 42 ends. Well, shoot, I think we heard Tom Holman talk about that. Uh, we've heard a bunch of people talk about that right here on this program. Mark Morgan, all of these guys that were both, uh, you know, I like to say they're like practitioner faculty, right? They come on here. They're very professorial. They know everything that's going on, and they were in the thick of it in the administration. And Morgan was the uh, border chief under Obama. So, you know, he served the last two presidents, probably more than that, but those are the ones I know about. They all said that this would happen when they were calling for it. But yet it was the same administration, the Biden administration, that fought this Title 42 until it didn't. What's going on? This is called, it's an election year. And they'll tell you anything that you want to hear to make it sound like things are going to get better. But uh, come May 11th, we're going to have a problem on our hands. So we're going to talk about that in the next segment. But until then, give me a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. We have been preparing for this transition for more than a year and a half. Notwithstanding those preparations, we do expect that encounters at our southern border will increase as smugglers are seeking to take advantage of this change and already are hard at work spreading disinformation that the border will be open after that. High encounters will place a strain on our entire system, including our dedicated and heroic workforce and our communities. The smugglers' propaganda is false. Let me be clear. Our border is not open and will not be open after May 11th. Ha. So, all right, everybody, pay attention because we are not going to we're not going to fall for this. Right. Unbelievable. The smuggler propaganda is false. Can you believe that? I can't. Not when uh, we've 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 heard about this. We've interviewed people. We've talked about it. We've seen it. I, I watch TV. I've seen it. What are we making fake videos now? Come on. We constantly just do a Google search. They constantly catch these women and children. I, I go to get my coffee at a Cuban place. I know I say this every day. It probably drives you crazy, but I do. I'm talking to the guy who came here on the back of a jet ski from Cuba to uh, Key West, Havana, Cuba. And he tells me that when he calls back home, people are telling him that the, the going rate right now to get into the U.S., they're like, oh, you're crazy for doing the jet ski thing. You could have died. Sharks could have got you. All you got to do is pay four grand and you come by way of the border. You fly to like Nicaragua or one of these other places. You get into Mexico 
and then they bring you right across for four grand. They smuggle you across the border for 4,000 bucks. For Mayorkas to say, that's not a thing. When I'm talking to people who, who are working hard in the United States, <laughs> they're like, uh, you know, we're hoping to bring our family members over, trying to do it the, the legal way, you know, through um, the, the proper channels. And you've got others that are saying, you know what, we're, we're going to do it um, the $4,000 way. And then Mayorkas comes along and says, the border is not open and it won't be after May 11th. Well, which one is it? So you're saying it's open now, there's no smugglers, and it'll, and it'll be really, really closed on May 11th. I don't buy any of it, not not for a second. Anyway, speaking of the borders, there is a, uh, a big rally coming up in uh, Texas. And uh, you don't want to miss about that. It's called Re- Rally to Repel Border Invasion. It's happening on Saturday. And tomorrow, Ted Nugent is going to join us on this program to talk about it. He's going to be at that rally. So uh, stay tuned for that. Ted Nugent will be with us mañana. But coming up next, a story of somebody who failed the bar exam and said, let me do something easier. Let me become a Marine. Just kidding. That's harder. He's coming up next. Chris Pavlik. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our telephone number, if you want to join our late-night National Town Hall Forum, feel free to do so, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ, and my last name, Valdez, with an S, by the way. You can also chime in uh, on um, any of the social media platforms, at Rich Valdez with an S, If you want to leave a comment that way, I saw a few coming in from some of the haters and they were very funny. I had a good chuckle during the break. So keep them coming. But some breaking news. Uh, United States Army helicopter has crashed in Alaska. Uh, More on that at the top of the next hour. Uh, Plus, a man's girlfriend is accused of killing a six-year-old and leaving the body in a bucket on the mother's front lawn. They've got security footage of this happening. Uh, We'll talk about that briefly. I really hate talking about violence against kids. Uh, But uh, lastly, uh, there's another story here that uh, the authorities in Nashville have released the Nashville Shooters Manifesto. And um, I think we'd already gotten a lot of tidbits on that. But there's always something to to be told when you finally get these things. So we're going to talk about that. And these are all difficult situations, right? It's tough to, to imagine what people are going through when that happens. But 
in in looking at these difficult situations, it it it's what you're made of, right? You figure out what you're made of. And uh, sometimes we're successful in things. Sometimes we fail in things. And our next guest uh, has really learned from failure, right? He's um, somebody who went to law school, took the bar, failed the bar, and then decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find meaning by becoming a Marine. And you would think becoming a lawyer is hard enough. Let me do something that's that much harder, becoming a Marine. Uh, his name is Chris Pavlik. He's the author of From Lawyer to Warrior, Failing the Bar, Becoming a Marine, and Finding Meaning. Chris Pavlik, welcome. Hi, Rich. Thank you. This is uh, fantastic to be here. Thank you so much. You bet. It's my pleasure. Uh, I, I, I find your story to be uh, uh, inspiring and one that I wanted to hear about because I, I think, you know, who can't learn from failure? And uh, th- that's one of the constants in our lives is that we all fail. And I can tell you for me, I'm not always the most positive guy. You know, I, I fail and I don't go, damn, well, let's see what I learned from there. I usually go, damn, right. and I leave it there. So, you know, I thought it was uh, really uh, inspiring that, you know, you you failed at something and you decided to to turn that into a positive. Tell us about it. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've actually attempted the bar exam four times in my life. Um, I graduated from law school in 2006. I took the bar exam that July uh, failed the first time. I took it again in February, failed the second time. And, and at that time I was just not in a place to even consider taking it a third time. I was not in the right headspace, Uh, and I really didn't have it in me for a third attempt in a row. Uh, along the way though, I had considered becoming a staff staff judge advocate in the Marine Corps, uh, for all you people out there, it's a, you know, military attorney. Um, and because I'd kind of explored that option already, I had already met Marines, uh, and I got exposure to this culture, this this ethos that really attracted me. And so, when my you know backwards up against the wall, uh, having failed twice in a row, I said, you know what? Uh, I need to get out of here. I need to do something different. And so, uh, I joined the Marine Corps as a ground contract, not as a law contract, but as a ground contract. And uh, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Outstanding. Now. You, this is a, a, an interesting thing because it's. I don't know too many people that that um, have taken this approach, and failing the bar four times. I think that many people would be like, "Man, that's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, uh, right. I'm never right. doing anything yeah, again." Yeah. Right? Instead, you decide, yeah. "Let me. Let me yeah. That was hard enough. Let me try something a little bit harder." Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell us about uh, what what inspired yeah. that. Yeah. Well, it was one of those things where. I didn't, I, honestly, I didn't really have that many options as far as I was considered. I was looking at about $150,000 of school debt. Um, I really, like I said, I had given my all in, in these two attempts to try and pass the first two times and came up short. Uh, and yeah, I was really in a bad state of mind. And, you know, I dedicated my book to one person who uh, had failed the bar exam back in 2016 and unfortunately uh, had committed suicide. And so I say that because, well, obviously I never went that far. I, I do know what, what that person was going through. I was kind of on that side of the fence and I was really in a bad state of mind. And thankfully, I guess I had the presence of mind to say, you know what, I need to just clear my head and do something completely different and, and join the Marine Corps. And it was that last, I guess, Maybe it was I was looking for even a harder test. I was even looking for something to prove myself even more. 
to, to kind of like, if that makes sense, like, you know what? Okay. I can't pass this test, but you know what? I'm going to try and do something even more difficult. And so I'm going to go to officer candidate school and see if I could become a Marine officer. And, uh, and that's what I did. And when I initially began putting pen to paper on my book, I started doing it years ago. In fact, it was never even meant to be a book. It was just a therapeutic process for me to help make sense of things. Uh, some of these things were so complex and multi-layered that I needed my writing to help myself do my thinking. And so as I put pen to paper, I was realizing that, you know what, I, I'm able to derive meaning from those failures because of these amazing opportunities that I'd gotten in the Marine Corps, I never would have had, had I not failed. And so I was able to kind of make sense of it all, but, you know, retrospectively, it took a long time, but that's kind of how the book came about. Now, I want to rewind just a little bit uh, to this. This You mentioned that uh, one of the people that you'd uh, gone through this process with um, couldn't handle it and committed suicide. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I will, I'll keep his name private and I did not. Know yeah, I don't him. need his name. I just uh, want to know, like, no, was this somebody yeah, from, sure. from, from law school and you know, what, what was, uh, I guess as many details as you can. Cause I just, I've never heard of that. And, um, if yeah. it's a thing, you know, I, I think it's something we should talk about. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, it's probably more common than, than most people realize. Uh, this gentleman, he, uh, had failed the bar exam in 2016 and he was well liked. He was one of those people who had, it sounds like he'd always wanted to be an attorney. He was just that, that charismatic guy, well-liked, um, great student. And the, the dream of being an attorney just really resonated with, with him and everyone that knew him saw it. And everyone that knew him said, yeah, you're, you're destined to be an attorney. And, and don't get me wrong for all you listeners, like the world needs attorneys. This is not an indictment on the practice of law, but he was one of those people that just had, it was just drawn to it. And it's like, this is this guy's, this is this guy's location. Um, and got his results uh, in, I think it was November of 2016, and, and shortly after that, um, took his own life, unfortunately. And, and there was another gentleman that I, I did some, I uh, found some research on uh, as I was writing my book. It was in 2013. He had failed it once, and he was getting ready to take it a second time and begin that long, onerous process of, uh, of studying yet a second time. And Shortly after he began that, um, he also took his own life. And wow. I dedicated my book to book to to those people. And uh, you know, it, it's just it's a it's a real thing. And we we do we do like harbor failure. You know, it's one thing you mentioned at the beginning of the opening. You know, it's a common denominator among all of us. And I think we all know that intuitively. But it's also the one thing that seems like the most taboo. It's the one thing we will not broadcast on Facebook or Instagram. And, um, it's, it's kind of odd because it all, we all, we've all done it. We all know it and we've all felt it, but we don't talk about it. Um, and I'm afraid that those kids just didn't want to talk about it or they felt so humiliated and so shameful that they didn't know where to turn. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's a real thing. Yeah. Nobody's proud of failure. That's for sure. Uh, very few are. And uh, and that's why I kind of liked your story that you uh, you took it and embraced it and made something really big out of it. Um, but um, I, I think it's it's a testament of resilience when you can go through a process with somebody and who, you know, one guy fails it four times, the other guy fails it another one time and and, and you failed it four times rather. And um, and and decide didn't decide to do that, you know, where it was on the other side, like you said, of that failure. But 
chose not to do that. And I think that's, that's the key of a story like yours or a story like this one is, you know, don't give up. Right. And I think that's kind of what we, we learn in life is we learn to be resilient. We learn, we don't always, uh, have that. I think some of us feel like we ought to be more resilient than we can be or are, uh, but it's definitely a goal. So I want to continue, uh, down that, that line of the story, as well as um, talking a little bit about your military service when we come back straight ahead. And I want to remind everybody that we're on with Chris Pavlak. He's the author of From Lawyer to Warrior, Failing the Bar, Becoming a Marine, and Finding Meaning. Uh, It's an Amazon bestseller. And if you want to chime in on this conversation, give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with uh, Chris Pavlik uh, discussing his book from uh, from lawyer to warrior, failing the bar, becoming a Marine and finding meaning. Uh, Chris Pavlik, uh, tell us a little bit about what happened after you, you know, went to Paris Island, Camp Lejeune, you become a Marine. Uh, what was the next step for you from there? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I had to go to Quantico for all my officer training, all officers are training Quantico, Virginia. Uh, and at that time, um, I was, uh, I was given, you're stratified as a Lieutenant. You don't get to immediately choose what you want to do as a specialty. Sometimes people get lucky and get what they want. Other times you get your second or third choice. Uh, and I, uh, I got ground intelligence and ground Intel is, uh, kind of an amalgam of both the infantry and the Intel world. Uh, but when you graduate from ground intel school, you are qualified to command a rifle platoon. And so I end up going to Camp Pendleton. I get stationed uh, at Camp Pendleton, and I end up going to 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines. And um, my battalion commander uh, had been a former reconnaissance Marine, and he said he just had a soft swap for intel guys. And if there was a chance, he was going to give me a rifle platoon. And that's what happened. So where I thought, you know, here I was going to be an intel officer and for lack of better words, be in a skiff making maps and, and looking at the weather and things like that. Right. Uh, kind of like the unsexy things. Um, they're still necessary, but they're not as sexy. And he said, do you want to have a rifle platoon? I said, absolutely. And so here I became like more of a pure infantry officer mm-hmm. for my first year at two five. And so I was commanding uh, 45 Marines uh, who had been in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan and and it was a truly humbling experience. And as I looked back on things and I looked back on that experience and I thought, you know, I, I would have never had this amazing opportunity. I would have never had these amazing chance to do these things and ha- meet these men and serve with these men had I not failed because who knows where I would have gone, you know, if I would have passed the bar. So it was just a, uh, a very humbling experience to be standing in front of 45 Marines uh, looking to you for leadership, guidance, mentorship, and professional development, ultimately, you know, responsible to keep them safe if we go into harm's way and bring them all back home safely. It was a, an enormous amount of, uh, of humbling responsibility. Wow, outstanding. So you, you come in as uh, an intelligence guy, and you then you get to lead this um, 
sniper platoon, uh, rifle platoon, and and what is that like? Does that take you uh, around the world? Do you, where do you do that from? It does, yeah. So as a as a rifle platoon commander, I uh, we went to the 31st Mu, which deploys to uh, Okinawa, and that's um, that's patrol around the Southeast Asia in the Pacific. So we went to uh, we went to the Philippines and did some bilateral training with the Philippines. We did went to uh, Korea briefly, and then we came back to Okinawa. And while we were on the ship coming back to Okinawa, my battalion commander, same battalion commander, said, "I'm going to make you uh, the sniper platoon commander now because." As, a, as the ground intel guys, you know, you have that, you have that training in, in the organic reconnaissance assets of the battalion, and that's, uh, that's what the sniper platoon is. And so I was already well-groomed, having been a rifle platoon commander. Um, he gave me the sniper platoon, and that was, you know, I've looked at both. I'm extremely grateful for both of these experiences in my life, but I'll probably say that rifle platoon command is the best job I'll ever have. Sniper Platoon Command is the coolest job I'll ever have. And mm. you're dealing with these, these mature Marines, these Marines who can think they're, they're cool under pressure, they're calm, uh, and they can be you know, behind enemy lines if need be, and they can just make decisions on their own, uh, make good decisions, and, and get the mission accomplished, right? Because I would myself not be deploying with them you know, if they were going to be helo inserted somewhere, I would be back in a skiff having radio communications with them and they would be telling me and appraising me of the situation on the ground. And again, if they have to prosecute a target with long range precision fires, I have to leave, I have to trust them that they know what they're doing. Right. And I've trained them. We've all worked together. We're training together, but I have to trust them on the ground to make that decision as does the battalion commander. So that was immediate. Like, these, these issues of trust and, and responsibility, like, immediately came to the front uh, as far as things we needed to cultivate between human beings, because that's what's really, you know, that's what's on the line here is, you know, the lives are on the line, uh, serious dangerous situations are on the line, and you have to have that implicit trust across, across your Marines. Yeah. Now these days, uh, I understand you keep busy uh, giving uh, advice on artificial intelligence and emerging technologies uh, what's your take on the current state of affairs with AI in the last minute and a half that we have? No, that's a good question. Yeah. So, uh, again, my, my legal background has allowed me to kind of be in that, in that world. And, you know, I think we have to really go about it carefully. We have to think about what we mean when we say ethical AI and when we think about regulatory uh, compliance. What does it mean? We certainly need to have humans in the loop as to the extent possible. I do see you know, places where AI is going to be useful for those mundane tasks that don't need human oversight. We just got to make sure we draw a clear line between what those tasks are going to be and what they're not going to be and, and be clear about that and make sure humans have oversight on, on everything, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, military applications. And let everybody know where they can get a copy of your book and follow the work that you're doing. Of course, yeah. Uh, LawyerToWarrior.com, uh, LawyerToWarrior, one word, dot com. And uh, I, the book is also available on, uh, on Amazon. I, my, uh, my LinkedIn profile is available, Christopher Pavlak, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, but, yeah, my book's available uh, on Amazon right now. All right, folks, check it out, LawyerToWarrior.com, LawyerToWarrior.com. Chris Pavlak, 
great story. I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll have you back on to talk about some AI uh, ethics and, and policies around that, because uh, that seems to be um, a big story that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. But I appreciate your service and, uh, and your time with us tonight. Thank you so much, Rich. Pleasure to be here. You bet. All right. Now, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to get to your calls um, in a little bit. Open Phone America starts at the top of the next hour. But we also uh, are going to talk about what's going on in foreign policy. There's a lot of craziness that's going on. We've got stuff happening uh, in um, with uh, Sudan. We've got uh, things happening with uh, the South Korean president coming and meeting with President Biden. We've got North Korea that's always trying to flex every now and again. Uh, everybody's reaching, and uh, we're going to see what happens with all of that. And we're going to connect with uh, one of Heritage's fellows on foreign policy, Brent Sadler. He's coming up next. And I'm looking forward to that conversation because when it comes to foreign policy, shoot, there's too much to keep up with, right? So we're going to keep you up to speed on everything that's going on in America at night and what's going on abroad. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. It's America at Night. We're coming right back. America. Welcome back. Rich Valdez. And our guest is Brent Sadler. He's Senior Research Fellow for Naval Warfare and Advanced Technology at the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. Brent Sadler, welcome. Yes, thanks for having me on tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, When it comes to keeping up to speed with foreign policy, it's one of those things where there's there's never a a shortage of of good analysis that one could have. Mm always something happening. Yesterday, we had some clips of audio. Let me see if I could set this up appropriately. Uh, we had the, hopefully I don't make a mockery of their name, um, Perthus, uh, Volker Perthus, the uh, U.S. Special Envoy for Sudan, who was uh, saying that, you know, there's there's a truce and it's having some localized impact, but it means... It remains insecure with respect to a ceasefire. And um, I guess I'm trying to figure out what's going on there, but I want you to hear what he had to say. Listen to this. It seems to be holding in some parts so far. However, we also hear continuing reports of fighting and movement of troops. So Sudanese armed forces and the rapid support forces have both accused one another of violating the ceasefire. So, uh, Brent Sadler, help us understand what is going on in Sudan, and can we expect a change? Uh, I don't think we're going to see a change anytime soon. This has actually been several years in the making. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have two rivals that are kind of effectively running a a caretaker government, but it's really a a rivalry over control of the government. There was this understanding years ago that – to be a transition to a civilian government, uh, you know, pluralistic or democratic of some uh, favor or flavor. And uh, our diplomats and probably more Western diplomats were 
you know, committed to that, rightfully so, but I think they were blinded to what was happening, and that was posturing and positioning for a military showdown that's un- unfolding right now. And, and those comments indicate that uh, don't really have a lot of clarity about where and how extensive the fighting is. Um, that's, that's my assessment of those comments, and, but I don't think anything's going to change in the near term. Now, what are the, I guess, um, greater implications of how this will eventually affect um, the United States? Hmm. Well, uh, so there's a lot going on in the world. Uh, Sudan mm-hmm. is you know, the one that popped up most visibly because Americans at the embassy were kind of caught unawares, and it was a question over the weekend how they were going to get them out of a, a, an active war zone. Thankfully, they right. got out. But there's still more Americans there, and the question is, how do you get the rest of them out? Um, how does it impact our geostrategic interests, I think, is probably a more pertinent question in the longer term. And it's worth remembering that Port Said, this is the port where a Chinese ship came in, two of them came in to extract Chinese nationals out of Sudan. And it's on the Red Sea, uh, and it was also potentially a Russian base up until fairly recently. There were you know, negotiations and the Russians were almost sealing the deal to base a nuclear submarine there, and I think four other ships. So Sudan does have the interest and some inroads from our rivals, uh, like Russia and increasingly China, too. Uh, but Sudan uh, won't necessarily be the real centerpiece that we need to be concerned with. I would look more to the east. Uh, what we just saw today, just a matter of hours ago, another large display of the Chinese forces around Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one that one got my attention uh, for a couple of reasons. Well, let's talk about that, because um, uh, China seems to have been flexing uh, their muscle and, and intimating that, you know, we're coming after Taiwan. And many say, well, that's what China does. They, they have a very weak military, even though it's growing and blah, blah, blah. And it's just more uh, saber rattling from the Chinese. Uh, but I, I've never tended to. Yeah, I'll, I'll hear that. But I, I, I take it seriously because I think China is a force to be reckoned with. What say you? No, absolutely. You're correct in that. Um, I don't see this as posturing. This is more practicing and conditioning uh, the Taiwanese wearing them down, tiring them, but getting them used to a certain routine. You know, they fly their aircraft large number, they get to the median line, which is this de facto separation between the, the mainland and Taiwan, and then they f- turn around. And so the Taiwan pilots get used to a certain type of behavior, and then the Chinese change on them, and that causes a lot of shock. Could also be covered for an actual, you know, an actual test, a kinetic test of their resolve to fight. Um, the same thing happens with us. We get conditioned to this higher activity around Taiwan. It makes it harder to discern when they're actually going to go. If they're really going to take a military option, it makes it a lot harder to kind of to discern that. So that's one part of this that's going on. The other part we saw after Pelosi's visit in August, a very robust demonstration of how they would isolate Taiwan shooting missiles over the island and even into Japanese economic waters, Mm -hmm. Uh, naval vessels patrolling around and doing missile exercises themselves, live fire drills, and a large display of naval and Air Force aircraft around the island. And then you saw a little bit different, uh, but very more significant air presence 
uh, after Tsai Ing-wen from Taiwan's president came and visited the United States earlier this month. But what was different is the Chinese also announced that they were going to start boarding and doing inspections of ships between the mainland, Pingtan, and to Taiwan. Uh, there hadn't been any news reports that they actually were done on non-compliant vessels. Uh, so I'd assume that would be anyone other than Taiwan, Taiwan ships or Western ships. But the fact that the Chinese announced it and they demonstrated they were practicing it in their news, that's a new wrinkle. And that's should they think they got a green light to go, that would be very troubling to see the next uh, crisis or round of saber rattling that we see. Yeah. And again, um, this is um, you're right. It's a it's a big display. I mean, something like 40 planes, 38 warplanes uh, near Taiwan, six Navy vessels in that area. We've got our Congress uh, preparing various proposals to arm Taiwan. And I'm um, looking at a, a poll in the Taipei Times. It says 55% of the Taiwanese people expect the United States to support them if attacked by China. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that, and we'll get it on the other side of this break. Folks, we're on with Brent Sadler uh, from the Heritage Foundation. If you have a question and you'd like to join the conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, so China has flown 38 warplanes near Taiwan. They've got six Navy vessels in place in the area. The Taiwanese Defense Ministry says that China's military flew these 38 fighter jets and other warplanes, including a combat drone, uh, around Taiwan. Things are getting um, very hot under the collar. This is um, breaking news from about an hour ago. And our guest is Brent Sadler, Senior Research Fellow uh, naval Warfare and Advanced Technology at the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Brent Sadler, the Taipei Times has a poll saying 55% of the Taiwanese people believe that the United States is going to support them if they're attacked by China. Uh, I I used to think that was a given. Uh, I'm not sure I believe that anymore, given the, the, the stance uh, that the Biden administration has taken on just about anything. What say you? Yeah, uh, President Biden, most of the folks uh, that are in his team are politicians at the end of the day. And as we saw in Ukraine, with enough political, I guess, antagonism from the electorate in the United States mm. uh, and also some from our allies, uh, they can be pushed in to do, to do the right thing, as they did in Ukraine eventually. Uh, in Taiwan, I can't imagine any American politician kind of standing by. And the most notable reason that I say this, and I've had, I've had this debate for well over 10, 15 years uh, with policymakers, uniformed and non-uniformed, um, and that is you have over 50,000 American citizens um, working, living, some of them intermarried with uh, folks from Taiwan, but they're American citizens, a large number of them. And I can't imagine that when the Chinese start executing an attack, and it's going to involve missile attacks along, you know, in places that are heavily populated cities. 
you're going to get images of death and destruction of American citizens that are killed in large numbers that I can't imagine the American people for that point alone sitting and letting that occur without proactively getting in, getting involved in defending American lives. Um, the Japanese have a similar calculation. They've changed dramatically since Putin's invasion, uh, this last invasion in 22 of uh, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also see it as part of their their direct national interest to be that Taiwan remain secure and that it's, the dispute with the mainland is resolved peacefully. So it's not just the United States. We've also got some powerful partners that would pull us and push us to do the right thing uh, in in a case of a Chinese assault on Taiwan. So if if that is in fact the case, do you think China, uh, for lack of uh, I guess a better way of putting it, do, do they give a damn? the United States will take action or do they just not care that the action in the United States may not be enough? So, Hey, why not? It's worth the risk. Yeah. The, the, there's a, a few things that have to happen in Beijing for them to pull the trigger. And it's important on our, our political and military leaders, uh, to, to all that they wake up every day and they go, today's not the day. Uh, there's two, two parts of the equation. One is the military balance. Now, for the longest time, the mainland just had to worry about Taiwan till 96 when we took two aircraft carriers and stood up uh, for the Taiwanese in their first really free national elections. And then the calculation changed in the military balance again when President Obama went and grudgingly acknowledged that defense of the Senkaku Islands administered by Japan would trigger national, uh, you know, our national defense treaty with Japan. And so the Chinese had to go back yet again and do the calculation and say, wow, we've got more military we have to deal with. But they've been doubling down. They've doubled and, and quadrupled the size of their military and modernized it in the last 20 years. So they're less and less fearful. So that military-to-military balance getting weaker. The other thing, and this is war is a game of chance. No matter how good you are, things always kind of go sideways when you least expect it. And the Chinese Communist Party hates risk. They're very risk adverse. And so Mm. this other part of the equation is political control. Can they control the events that unfold? And this is where what's happening in Ukraine is extremely educational for them. But uh, today, I would say they still, the balance is today's not today, but that's fast eroding. All right. Uh, Brent Sadler, I want to go to a call from Paul in Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Paul, you're on with Brent Sadler from the Heritage Foundation and me. Go right ahead. Uh, Good evening, Rich and Mr. Sadler. Uh, Yeah, Mr. Sadler, I'd like to ask you, what do you think the chances are? And I heard Gordon Chang say this on um, Newsmax TV, that China's just waiting for the opportunity. They're waiting for uh, maybe a Taiwanese aircraft or United States aircraft or somebody to fire on them and provoke them into a war, and they know that Joe Biden's weak. What do you think the chances are that that may be the case? Uh, Thank you, yeah. Paul. So, yeah, thanks, Paul. It's a great question. Um, and, and this administration often kind of gets this wrong in my mind. Um, there's never been a major war that's, that started and then stayed a major war for days that was by accident. So you're right, the Chinese would orchestrate something that would look like an accident as a pretext. So that's not an accident. And I think they are. I think they want to test, they don't want to go to a full-on war right now because they're not really sure about all the risk and the odds. 
so what I see in the next couple of years, it's more likely that, you know, given a political context like elections in Taiwan uh, next year, that you get something where you basically trade paint with a Chinese warship and an American warship, or you have an accidental, so-called accidental shoot down of one of our aircraft to see how we respond. And if we do not respond forcefully and quickly, the Chinese will take the wrong lesson from that and will probably have a bigger test or a conflict to follow shortly after. So little test, very important little test with us, military uh, resolve, and you got to handle it right. And I, and I worry about that greatly. All right. Uh, thanks again, Paul, for the call. Uh, Brent Sadler, I want to um, thank you for joining us tonight. Amazing insight. Uh, thanks for breaking it down to us. Um, it's a pretty complicated scenario, like most foreign uh, policy is. A lot of moving parts. And uh, hopefully you'll come back to kind of give us an update as this continues to unfold. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Have a good night. You bet. Thank you. All right, folks, more on your calls and everything else we're talking about here in America at night. Uh, straight ahead, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're going to go into your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. Let us go to Kim in Michigan, KDKA. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. I don't know if... Um, Brent talked about this while I was on with the call screener, but um, it sounds like what China is doing with Taiwan, where they move in and kind of make a pattern and do it repeatedly and then switch and change their pattern. It's like they're desensitizing Taiwan. And it sounds kind of like what Russia did with the Ukraine. Uh, They called them... The little green men, Russia's soldiers moved into Ukraine gradually but um, steadily, and they had no identifying marks on their green uniforms. Do do you remember that? I don't. I don't remember that. Uh, I remember there was some controversy over uniforms, but I can't remember the details. Yeah, and I just wondered if this is some kind of new strategy that people don't identify him as – People kept saying they're moving in, they're moving in, but they had no identifiers on their uniforms, just kind of like green khaki army uniforms, you know, with no identifying marks. Yeah, well, I remember there was a lot of civilians that kind of came into the the war, you know, kind of last minute or whatever. And um, I know that they some of them were older. They, you know, they, they stopped allowing men to leave the country and, you know, there were shortages. I mean, at one point I remember they were handing out guns just to anybody who would take one. And it was uh, interesting to see. And that's when uh, the Klitschko brothers had, um, you know, kind of gotten together and all of that, Uh, that I remember, but uh, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't remember the details of it. 
Yeah. It just seems like it's kind of a new invasion strategy of desensitizing people and moving in and, and catch, you know, and they having them get used to you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Could be. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't rule out anything at this point uh, because you never know what's happening, Kim. But um, it's um, I think China's different than Russia in that they're they're not looking to flex muscle per se. They're um, I think they're really looking to achieve a goal. And I think Russia's goal isn't just like domination. It's they want this real estate. They want, you know, Ukraine to be years or parts of Ukraine to be years. Uh, theirs. I think with uh, China, it's a lot of its political power, perceived power. Um, they may want to take this land, but there's a lot more that goes along with it. And they've got a lot more um, strategy behind them, I think, than the Russians do. But that's my thought. Anyway, thank you, Kim. I appreciate the call. We're going to get to your, the rest of your calls straight ahead. Plus, we're going to talk about the uh, passing of Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer, the um, legendary TV, daytime TV talk show host, uh, passed away today. We're going to talk about that, as well as everything else that's going on in America at night. So give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDES. That's me. Open Phone America starts right now. Don't miss it. Never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. This is the third hour of the program, and uh, I want to welcome you to call us if you want to join the conversation. This is the Thursday night edition. Of course, it's already um, Friday morning, but hey, who cares, right? It <laughs> We're still live, we're still national, and we're still looking to speak with you. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, I mentioned uh, right before the break, and there's a lot of news going on, and we discussed a lot of things. We discussed foreign policy, what's going on with China. There's a, a lot of uh, a pro, pro, provocation, is the word I'm looking for, uh, that's happening uh, with China. They're, uh, they've sent 38 warships uh, to Taiwan, and we're going to see what happens. This is a developing story about 90 minutes ago. Uh, we've also got uh, another breaking story from a little bit earlier. Uh, U.S. Army helicopter crashed in Alaska. We're going to get to that. And uh, a couple other things we're going to talk about tonight. We've talked about the border, immigration, you name it. But I want to talk about Jerry Springer because Jerry Springer passed away today. And let me tell you, a lot of people didn't like Springer. He was uh, a liberal. He was uh, a liberal politician. And then he became a liberal talk show host. But he was an amazing one. You know, whether it was being the king of raunch, the king of filth, you name it, the fighting and all that stuff. Um, I thought Jerry Springer was just an absolute um, phenomenon 
when it came to doing what he did. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, definitely made his mark when it comes to being a talk show host. So uh, Gerald Norman Springer um, passed away today. And I have some uh, a clip of audio. You know, Springer always ended his shows with his final thoughts. And, um, you know, like, uh, like an epilogue, if you will. And the these final thoughts were always interesting. And it was a take on the advice he was giving throughout the program. And um, I, I always enjoyed them. And we have a clip of one. And, and they were always heartfelt. You know, whether you liked them, didn't like them, whether you agreed or disagreed, they were always relatively decent advice. And we've got a couple of clips, but th- this one I want to play right now is one of Springer's final thoughts. Listen to this. You know, the sadness of a lost relationship is bad enough, but too often we add anger. I mean, how dare this person who so occupied my life and heart leave for somebody else? It's a theft, a personal assault, too much for our ego. And we lash out at who we lost and the person who took him or her. Now, I'm not suggesting it's easy to refrain from such feelings, but we have to know, as bad as those feelings are, it's in our own control as to how long we harbor them. The truth is, we don't want that person back. I mean, who wants to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't love you? Why are we fighting to get this person back? It may have once been good, but it isn't anymore. No, don't let this person continue to hurt you. Let it go. Find someone who will love you back. Then you can have the happiness you want and deserve. As for the lover you lost, you don't love him. You only loved who you thought he was. You're better off moving on. Till next time, take care of yourself and each other. Now, how's that for a sign-off? Take care of yourself and each other. Anyway, Springer, uh, who was had this uh, political career that that parlayed into the Jerry Springer show, was was on the air for for about three decades. And uh, there's uh, an obituary in the New York Times. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to give you a little bit of it. And uh, it says Jerry Springer, who went from a somewhat outlandish political career to an almost indescribably outlandish broadcasting career with the Jerry Springer show, which by the 1990s was setting a new standard for tawdriness on American television, turning the talk show format into an arena for shocking confessions, adultery fueled screaming matches and not infrequent fist fights died Thursday in suburban Chicago. He was 79. His death after a brief illness was confirmed in a statement by Gene Galvin, a family friend and executive producer of Mr. Springer's podcast. Mr. Springer earned a law degree from Northwestern University in 1968 and started on a political career, winning uh, election to the Cincinnati City Council in 1971. But he was soon embroiled in the type of personal scandal that would later fuel his talk show. He resigned in 1974 after he was found to have written a check for prostitution services at a Kentucky massage parlor. (laughs) Imagine that. You go there and you decide to give him a check. Unbelievable. Uh, But Mr. Springer was nothing if not resilient. He was reelected to the council in 1975 One of his comeback speeches nodded to the prostitution controversy, saying, a lot of you don't know anything about me, he said, according to the Cincinnati Inquirer. But I'll tell you one thing you do know. My credit is good. (laughs) I guess the check didn't bounce. Good for him. 
the uh, elected mayor of Cincinnati um, was Jerry Springer in 1977. And in 1982, he ran for governor of Ohio, addressing the prostitution incident forthrightly and in a campaign advertisement as well. So uh, that's Jerry Springer. And there's more. Maybe I'll share a little bit more on that later. But Springer was, uh, uh, like the article said here, a cultural phenomenon. And uh, he really changed it. I mean, from there came, you know, the Steve Wilkos show. Really, Maury, who'd been on TV forever, uh, kind of took the angle that Springer had with this kind of very provocative programming. And it was, you know, nobody did it better than, than he did. And it was uh, it was just amazing. Excellent. Um, excellent in the terms of or in the sense of you, you just you couldn't look away like <laughs> like a car wreck. You just couldn't uh, ignore what was going on. But that is what's happening. Plus, I want to get into a little bit about the the border. Uh, there's another clip of Mayorkas that we have that I want to get to, and we're going to get to that and your calls straight ahead. So uh, give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Uh, we're talking about Springer. We're talking about the border. We're talking about uh, Taiwan and China, uh, as well as every other topic we've covered tonight. And we've had some great guests on. Uh, we had Donald Trump Jr. on in the first hour. If you missed that, check out the podcast or the replay. You can uh, check out any archived episode at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Make sure you're subscribed to that podcast. And also subscribe to uh, my podcast, uh, this is America with Rich Valdez. Different podcast, by the way. It's shorter in length, four segments, very uh, straightforward, usually no guests, just commentary. And um, it's quick on the go. I'd really appreciate it if you subscribed. And um, it's a good time. Anyway, we're going to get to all that straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. We have been preparing for this transition for more than a year and a half. Notwithstanding those preparations, we do expect that encounters at our southern border will increase as smugglers are seeking to take advantage of this change and already are hard at work spreading disinformation that the border will be open after that. High encounters will place a strain on our entire system, including our dedicated and heroic workforce and our communities. The smugglers' propaganda is false. Let me be clear. Our border is not open and will not be open after May 11th. All right, so that's, uh, again, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, saying that there is disinformation, misinformation, there is a smuggler propaganda uh, indicating here that it is not true that there are smugglers at the human border, that that's fake, phony fraud, that's right-wing propaganda from Rich Valdez and his Republican friends, right? Well, 
I will direct your attention to the Customs and Border Protection website, right? United States Customs and Border Protection, which is a uh, division of the Department of Homeland Security. (laughs) Lo and behold. And here we have a release uh, on Friday, March 3rd, 2023, Edinburgh, Texas. Headline, human smugglers continue to disregard public safety. This is from the government. This is from the Department of Homeland Security. And I'll just read you a little bit of it because, I mean, it's just crazy here, right? This is just, how could he say that there is propaganda when they're here saying that this is a big deal? Brownsville agents apprehended four migrants with the assistance of Air Marine Operations, the Cameron County Sheriff's Office, and the Brownsville Police Department. Surveillance camera operators observed the vehicle load suspected migrants after they scaled the border fence. Agents attempted the vehicle to, to stop the vehicle. Driver failed to yield. The helicopter uh, located the vehicle parked in a residential area. The migrants are located nearby and arrested for being uh, in the U.S. unlawfully. Goes on, blah, 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 blah. Uh, These are people smuggling people into the United States, right? Here is Rio Grande Valley Sector Chief Patrol Agent Gloria Chavez, right? She works for Mayorkas. Quote, the increasing disregard for the life and safety of people being smuggled by smugglers highlights the everyday dangers faced by law enforcement and members of our local communities. Said RGV Sector Chief Patrol Agent Gloria Chavez, Every Border Patrol agent values our local law enforcement partners and the technology which helps us make these interdictions. All right, so that's, again, official government statement from uh, the Department of Homeland Security. Then, I don't know, three days ago, runaway Houston area teens arrested at southern border accused of human smuggling. Kinney County, Texas. Authorities in Kinney County, Texas, say they've arrested two teens from Greater Houston charged them with smuggling of illegal immigrants. The teens were arrested after a high-speed chase using a stolen vehicle. According to sources, the two teens ran away from the Gulf Coast Trade Center in Walker County uh, last uh, Tuesday night. The nonprofit trade center near near New Waverly is intended for disadvantaged and adjudicated 15- to 18-year-old boys. Early the next morning, a business near the Trade Center reported a vehicle being being stolen. All right. I know how to talk, I swear. Anyway, that's a real story. I'm going to post that. That's from three days ago. The other one was from uh, three weeks ago. And clearly there's a pattern of smuggling going on at the border, which he says is not open, and there is no smuggling, according to Mayorkas. So what am I to believe, right? Um, Are they all asylum seekers? Is there no smuggling? Is it all just... uh, a vast right-wing conspiracy? I don't know. You tell me. Let's go to my buddy Gil in Manila, Philippines. Go right ahead, Gil. Welcome. Oh, thank you for taking the call, Ricardo. Muchísimas gracias. I'm uh, sitting here drinking one of my Vietnamese Budweiser's while we're conversing. It's uh, (laughs) about uh, noon here. But uh, several things, if I may. Uh, I I think you remember that I've made this suggestion several times that uh, um, uh, our government, through probably the State Department, uh, set up offices in uh, either on the uh, Mexican side of the Guatemalan border or the Guatemalan side uh, to screen potential uh, asylum seekers 
We announced today that's what they're going to do. They're going to put one in uh, Guatemala. They're going to put one in El Salvador. It's a good idea. Sounds like the Trump policy, uh, what they called remain in Mexico. This takes it a step further, uh, getting them before they get to Mexico. And to me, that indicates that Mexico is probably not willing to play ball anymore the way they once were, uh, probably out of a lack of respect for Biden. Well, I'm going to give you a tip. The president of Mexico is severely ill. He's unable to perform his duties right now. He's gotten COVID for the third time. I don't know if if you if you knew that or not. Yeah, but uh, hadn't heard about it. Yeah, and uh, you you had some um, some parrot uh, and bird jokes uh, yesterday. Oh yes, we did a segment uh, for the birds. Okay. Well, I have my classic parrot joke, if I may. Go right ahead. Okay. All right, um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it uh, local for you. Uh, Mrs. Valdez was a widow woman uh, who lived by herself, and uh, she never had any children. Her prized possession was this parrot named Polly, and she always told everybody that Polly could talk, but no one ever heard Polly talk. So when she passed, the uh, neighbors came in and cleaned her place out and said, what are we going to do with this parrot? I said, well... Let's give it. Let's give it to the parish uh, priest, uh, um, Father Lopez. So they they gave it to Father Lopez, and he's there for about three weeks trying to make the parrot talk. Polly want a cracker, and shakes her head. Well, after about three weeks, said Polly want a cracker, and Polly goes a little crazy and jumps up and down and says, Polly wants sex. Polly wants sex. Polly wants sex. <laughs> and he doesn't know what he's going to do. So he tries to to break the bad habit. Well, one that day. The bishop comes to call. You know, the, the collections, they need some more money. They take the collections up. So Father had hid in the parrot closet. But when the, the bishop is there, she lets go with one of her tirades. Polly wants sex, Polly wants sex, Polly wants sex. So the bishop said, what is this abomination you have, Father? You've got the, the convent over here with the nuns on one side, and you've got the the girls' parochial school over here on the other side, and you've got this abomination. And uh, he said, well, you know, it's she's just a dumb animal. She doesn't know what she's saying. And the the, uh, the bishop replied, well, really, that's not true. I'm going to tell you something about me. I know all about parrots. I have two parrots that I had since they have hatched. And I've taught them to pray and to contemplate and, of course, they're like me. They're celibate. So they wouldn't do anything like this parrot. But you do this. You bring Polly to the bishop's residence on Saturday, and I'll straighten her out. So that's what he does. And the bishop says, Polly, these are my parrots, Peter and Paul. They're good parrots. Emulate their behavior. So he puts Polly in the cage with the two male parrots. She, she sees two feral males, and she goes crazy again. Polly wants sex. Polly wants sex. Polly wants sex. Mm-hmm. So the, the two uh, praying parrots, Peter and Paul, thirty seconds, look to heaven, look look at each other, and say, "Thank you, God. Our prayers have been answered." So, um, hello. Yeah, we're going to run out of time, Gil. Okay, you didn't hear the punchline. 
I, I know, never do. You set it up so, so long, I always miss the punchline. It's my fault, not yours. Okay, well, they, they, said, they said to each other, thank you, God, our prayers have been answered. So anyhow. Uh, uh, thanks, brother. Yeah, I, I have ADD. If you don't get to the punchline in 15, 20 seconds, uh, I'm already uh, planning the next segment. <laughs> thank you, Gil. I appreciate it. Uh, and I'm glad you made that advice that my Mayorkas followed, and um, hopefully it makes a difference at the border. I doubt it will. That's uh, that's how these guys tend to roll. Anyway, we're coming back to your calls and more. We're talking about Jerry Springer, his life and legacy. Uh, Bud Light spending more money in uh, the wake of the Dylan Mulvaney controversy. They've got to spend on marketing now because they're losing market share. Uh, plus, your calls and more, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back to all of you. Don't go anywhere. That's 833-482-5337-833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, Donald Trump has a new nickname for Hillary Clinton. We're going to get to that in a moment. But I wanted to um, first uh, let you hear um, Donald Trump talking about his new nickname. And, of course, we're going to get to your calls. I know calls are coming in as we speak. We're going to get you ready to go. We're about to get to those. But uh, Trump has a new nickname. Listen to this. I will be retiring the name Crooked from Hillary Clinton and her moniker. And I'm going to give her a new name. I don't know, like maybe Lovely Hillary or Beautiful Hillary. But I'm going to retire the name Crooked so that we can use the name for Joe Biden because he'll be known from now on as Crooked Joe Biden. You would think that Hillary would be very happy today. She'll be, I think she'll be, she's out there someplace celebrating. Because there's never been anyone in the history of American politics so crooked or dishonest as Joe Biden. And the press absolutely refuses to report it, all that press back there. Because frankly, they're just as crooked as he is, and they are. They're just as crooked. So that's uh, uh, former President Trump at a rally in New Hampshire on Thursday. Uh, earlier today, I'm going to give her a new nickname, he says. Uh, the, the crowd in Manchester uh, seemed to really enjoy the new nickname of Crooked Joe. And, of course, you know, on this program, his name is Joe El Baboso Biden. Uh, but Trump seems to be alive and well and kicking on the on the campaign trail while Joe Biden seems to be forgetting what's going on. He's, uh, he's got a fugitive in Hunter Biden in his house. Who's, uh, avoiding being served with paternity papers. And it just, you just can't make this stuff up. Let's, uh, go to the phones. Let's go to Reb Lakewood, Colorado, K R V N Reb. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. This is U.S. Pentagon first team, Bubba Scout Reb. I'm the spokesperson. We're here and we're federal witnesses 
to the top of the U.S. government for the use of public law to put an end to this border, World Health Organization shutdowns, the United Nations scam on How the United States. How are you doing that? Oh, we're going to bring in force under the law, and we're going to quarantine here and the border because it's our country. I'm sorry. What are you it's bringing in? Theirs. It's not U.S. troops. It's under law. Read about it. One zero nine dash three six four. I'll do that. Thanks for calling my show to give me a bunch of numbers. Uh, it would have been nice if you wanted to have a conversation. Instead, you sound like a drunk crazy. It's a rib and the Pentagon, and I got the paper, and I got the All right, let's try somebody a little more serious, shall we? Matt, Eastern North Carolina, WTKF, go right ahead. Hello, Rich. I'm the hey, CAO brother. Who, can't make, who can't miss your show. I told hey. Mark. I appreciate that. Now, thank you. Uh, make my own schedule, and I won't miss your show. Furthermore, You're I told a good man. Mark. Uh, thank you. I talked to Cash Patel technically Thursday afternoon. You know mm-hmm. who he is. I heard him on your show, I believe. Sure, yeah. We've had him on several times. Cash is a good man. Right. Yes. And um, we talked about the 25th Amendment and getting Biden out of the White House for not defending the country. And as someone else, I can't mention other shows, I understand, because mm-hmm. I'm a CAO. And uh, he was filling in for another host. And he said, how complicated it is. I said, yes, sir, I know. His old cabinet has to turn against him. Now, did you know, Rich, A elementary school child, I don't know if it's third or fourth grade, just yesterday, heard him say, Mr. President, do you know what country you were in last week? And Joe Biden said, no, I forgot. Yeah, I know. What do you think? He forgot that he went to Ireland. He forgets where what country he's in. And then he tells uh, the other kid, he tells them, uh, we got to make sure we uh, everybody pays their fair share in Texas. <laughs> I mean, Joe is, uh, he's off his rocker, man. I, you know, you, you gotta, I love the old people. I have respect for my elders, but, uh, Joe Biden is, is no bueno. Joe El Baboso Biden's gotta go. I got you, but I can't miss your show, brother. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody near Eastern North Carolina and listening on WTKF. Always appreciate hearing from you, Matt. Let's continue from North Carolina to Jersey City, New Jersey, listening on Rich Valdez, America at night.com. Jeff, go right ahead, brother. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Uh, Rich, uh, good to talk with you. Likewise. Yes. Finally, uh, you know, I've been uh, touching base with you, and uh, I'm a fan of when you were, you know, with the great one, um, I can't miss his his show. It's too bad you didn't get that slot after him, but you are where you are, and I found you. Well, we're on about an hour after he is, so you get a chance to grab something to eat and then check in with us 10 o'clock Eastern. There you go. There you go. And you, and you know what? I mean, and, and stay, um, make yourself visible, uh, the reminders on the Internet, whatever you have to do, you know. Uh, so, but, um, I love your show. I loved when you filled in for, for Mark and, um, thank you. I'm enjoying it now. And, and you know what, to follow up on the, on the previous caller, Biden, the guy isn't rich. I got a question serious now. Is there a law once a president is not suitable? I mean, we saw uh, Roosevelt with the uh, polio or what have you. 
uh, um, maybe Wilson had a stroke or something, but isn't there a law that says once no. the president... No, actually, the law uh, says that the only thing they have to be is 35 years old and an American citizen. Now, the mechanism that the founders, in their great wisdom, um, put in place is the uh, the 25th Amendment to get rid of Biden, and I don't see that happening, at least not yet, um, hopefully, you know, it'll happen soon. I would love, I mean, everybody's like, oh no, then we get Kamala. I can't think of a better scenario for Republicans, for America than Kamala Harris as president of the United States, um, being ascended from the vice presidency to the presidency. This would be phenomenal. Honestly, it would be phenomenal. This woman is so bad at just about everything she does that she makes Joe Biden look okay sometimes. And I think that this would be uh, probably the, the, the person that you could easily, most easily beat would be Kamala Harris. So I, I, I would love to see it happen, but I think they know full well that she's more of a liability than Joe is, and that's why they keep her uh, under wraps. Um, she's not going anywhere, and she's not going anywhere really, really fast. I would love to see that happen, but I just don't think it does. Uh, but no, there's nothing stopping anybody. Matter of fact, even Supreme Court justices... There was uh, some instances with uh, mental illness and I guess what we call now uh, Alzheimer's or dementia. But back in the days, uh, there was, I forget which justice, but there was a lot of questions about their mental fitness because they felt at the time they were senile. And uh, again, it's a lifetime appointment and you cannot remove one of these uh, judges. So uh, justices and it's um, and I mean, there's some formal process, but again, they weren't going to do it. And it was um, uh, a point of contention back in the days. So, yeah, no, no formal process other than the 25th Amendment. And uh, I would love to see it happen. And, Jeff, thank you for your kind words. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, of course, if you're in Jersey City, you're listening online or you're listening to WFAS out of New York. And either way, I appreciate the call. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And today is National Gummy Bear Day, but guess what? It's also National Devil Dog Day, and I'm not talking about the brave men and women of the United States Marine Corps. I'm talking about these little chocolate pastries with that creamy filling in the middle, uh, National Devil Dog Day. It's also National Prime Rib Day, National Tell a Story Day, National Babe Ruth Day, and National Take Your Sons and Daughters to Work Day. And um, it this is all part of a week known as National Lesbian Visibility Week. Now, if you think I'm making it up, I'm not. I've got the proof. I got the receipts. I've got KJP, Karine Jean-Pierre at the White House. Listen to this. So this week is Lesbian Visibility Week. And as the first openly queer person to hold the position of press secretary for the president of the United States, I see every day how important visibility and representation are. 
Today, I'm honored to welcome the cast of The L Word and Generation Q, two Showtime series that chronicle the friendship, the love, the challenges, and the triumphs of strong, funny, and resilient queer women. Up here with me are the amazing, talented actresses who play those very roles, Jennifer Beals, Leisha Haley, and Katherine Minnick, and the show's co-creator, writer, and executive producer, Eileen Shakin. Okay, well, while she's mentioning all of her friends that do the, um, the, um, that TV show, I-, I couldn't help but think she's talking about how important it is to be visible, yet we have a president that is rarely visible. And when he does decide to do a press conference, which was the first one in a while that he did yesterday, we find out that he's only taking questions from reporters whose face and name and question and answer are already printed on a card for him in advance. So imagine if I was doing talk radio saying, hey, give me a call from wherever in the country you are, 833-4-Valdez. And then my call screener goes ahead and gives me, uh, you know, your photo, your name, your title, everything, including what I'm supposed to say to you when you ask what you're going to ask. I mean, where's the spontaneity in that? There's nothing. All I get is I get your name, your city, your state, what radio station and and, uh, you know one or two sentences, I mean, or one or two um, lines of wording, so not even a full sentence on the uh, the topic that you want to talk about. And and that's it. Uh, I just, I, I can't imagine how um, working in talk radio is somehow um, better, better suited for, for Joe Biden than being president, but it is lamentably. It'd be great. Imagine Joe Biden on the radio you know, it, well, you know, if you don't, if you don't agree with you ain't black. And uh, let's go to Michael and Pendleton on KUMA, Pendleton, Oregon. All right, Michael, go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Uh, hey. Yes, your friend here in Oregon, uh, Michael, and uh, great to talk to you again. Likewise, um, thank you. Yeah, you know, with, uh, of course, President Biden being in the news this week with the re-election um, announcement, uh, his bid for that. Um you know, I was hearing a substitute host from one of the daytime talk shows uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was claiming, no matter who you're for, Biden or Trump, this is, he claims how close it was. It came down to five counties in four states, uh, and it was less than 40,000 votes, he was saying. So, I, you know, I heard that, and I go, whoa, if that's true, that's how close it was in uh, 2020. Yeah. Uh, well, again, I, I, I don't have those numbers in front of me. I do know that it came down to, um, yeah, six counties for sure, because there was six states that were in question. And it wasn't the whole state that was in question. It was six counties, you know, one county in each of those states. And I can tell you, being, uh, you know, a Brooklyn native in New York and moving to Jersey when uh, or even in New York is another good example. Um, you've got New York City, which tips the scale in almost every election for the entire state of New York. Uh, a a very um, a very rural state, right? New York has a lot of upstate region, a lot of uh, hunters. Uh, there's farms up there, uh, but defined by this one small city, small piece of landmass with a massive amount of people that populate this little landmass. Same thing in Jersey. You've got Essex County, but m- more uh, more poignantly, Newark, New Jersey, which has a ton of people. You've got uh, another huge city, Camden, New Jersey, uh, that these cities, uh, which are largely Democrat cities uh, and historically Democrat cities, 
they they swing entire elections uh, in in many cases uh, for in New Jersey on a statewide level. So when you you look at the grand scheme of things, when you're looking at the electoral um, college, and you have these six states, but really boils down to the largest counties in these states, um, it doesn't come as a surprise to me that if there's six counties that are in question or six you know counties where there's an issue with a machine, an issue with how people receive their ballots, an issue with anything that isn't, uh, as they say, according to Hoyle or according to Robert's Rules of Order, or, you know, something that's not on the level, not kosher, if you will, uh, then I think that's worth entertaining. It's worth looking at. It's worth having a conversation about. But lamentably, during the election in 2020, the, these things were, these conversations were negated and they were shut down. It was like, no, that's it. We're not doing it. Punto y final, you know, period, the end, it's over. And it's a shame. Now, I mean, I guess I'm happy that there's the lawsuit on Act 77, uh, where in Pennsylvania specifically, where we saw the same thing happen with Philadelphia, right? One city that kind of sways a whole state. When we saw this happening in Pennsylvania, there was issues that were brought up, but they actually addressed those issues. And uh, and they decided to hear those cases a little bit later. And after um, rejecting the case, they decided to, to listen to the case. And they have admitted or at least, you know, uh, come to the conclusion that, yes, the United States federal constitution uh, allows for the state legislature to determine the time, the place and the manner of an election. That is the election law comes from the legislature, the part of our government that's closest to the people those that directly represent the people, uh, not the executive branch. So the decision in Pennsylvania to have the mass balloting that was made by the secretary of state and by way of a lawsuit from incidentally, Hillary Clinton's former campaign lawyer, uh, who brought that suit and was decided in the state Supreme court and became, that was the ruling. Sure. Go ahead and do balloting, uh, mass balloting for everybody in the name of COVID um, that was deemed unconstitutional against both the federal constitution and against the constitution of, of the state of Pennsylvania. But that they don't even look at that if, if, if they were willing to look at it. They were able to look at it and come to this conclusion that this was going against uh, the rules if only because, excuse me, because they decided to finally look at it after the fact. So they're not changing the clock. They're not turning back the hands of time. But at least in Pennsylvania, they've made some corrections and some other states have made um, changes with with that as well. But that's where we are with that, Michael. I'm getting the the cue in my ear that I have to go to break. So I'm going to do that. Thanks for the call. Big shout out to KUMA in Oregon. And we're going to get to uh, the rest of your call straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right. Sorry, G-Dub. I was hoping to get to you and uh, your comment on crime, but um, G-Dub had to go. We don't have a lot of time before the end of the show, but I wanted to share with you, um, again, a, a tidbit of wisdom from the late Jerry Springer. Life is 99% luck. Yeah. You know, and uh, we should all be 
really, really grateful. Never put up with a person saying, I made, I made it on my own, why can't they? Right. And because there's not one person watching, one person in the audience that had anything to do with the decision to be born. Mm. So uh, you didn't have anything to do with the decision to be born, to whom you'd be born, in what era, to what parents, with what kind of a brain, with what kind of health, with what kind of environment. I could take Bill Gates, the most successful Ameri one of the most successful Americans ever, and if he were born in Ethiopia, he would be dead by the age of five. So this attitude we have, which more and more is, is, is becoming prevalent in the country, is, well, I'm not going to help those people. I'm, you know, I made it. Let them get out and work and all that. Who are we kidding? Life is luck. And the last 1%, yeah, work hard, do the best you can. But, you know, stop being judgmental. And, you know, the way you, what you do is for this life, you, any moral ethic, you say thank you. And the way you say thank you, give something back to something. I don't agree with everything Springer said, but I agree with enough of it. R.I.P. Jerry Springer. I do believe in hard work. I believe in the American way. And I believe in saying hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night. And God bless. I am Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. We're going to do it all again tomorrow. And hopefully we'll do it with Ted Nugent. Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.